0: Good evening, church. Tyler, where'd you go? You may not be a normal song leader, but I'd be blessed to praise our God with you at the helm any night. Thank you, brother, for stepping up to service in that way tonight. It's good to see you again. Thank you for coming back after first sermon. It always makes a new guy feel good. Uh, really enjoying being here at Bear Valley, really enjoying getting to know you. As a family, really looking forward to the time that we're going to spend together. As we started off this morning, I, um, we, we started off with a lesson that we entitled, Who Are You and Where Do You Come From? And uh, I, I tried this morning to give us some, some time to maybe let you know some of what you can expect from, from me, from the Waddells, uh, as a family, as we join in this work together. And we're trying to just lay a foundation. I know that there's a, a, a lot of that newness that's going to be there, and that newness is going to be there for quite a while. It's kind of like breaking in a new pair of shoes. You know, they, they kind of rub blisters on your heels for a little while until you get used to wearing it, but then everything starts to feel good. And you begin to work well together and you begin to accomplish things. And I hope that that's the way that, that things go. Maybe I don't wear blisters on your heels, but I, I do hope that we, that, that, that we can overcome the, the bumps that are going to come in the road and, and that we can come together really, really quickly. Well, th- that was this morning. This morning, I wanted us to look at who are you and where do you come from. Tonight, I want us to take a little bit of a different approach. Tonight, I want us to consider not how is the Waddell family going to fit in with Bear Valley and how is Bear Valley going to connect, but... As a body, as a family, I want to ask this question tonight, who are we and where are we going? And in the midst of asking that question, the, what I want to give us tonight is a little bit of a, we'll call it a general vision. I am I'm really thrilled at the fact that when I walked into the office for the first time the other day, I saw, I think this is what it is, I haven't had a chance to re- to read all the way through it, but I, I saw what looks to be like a 50-year vision plan hanging up on the wall. Did I see that correct? Let me tell you something, church. That's the first time I've ever heard of that, I've ever seen it done. God bless you for having leaders who had that kind of foresight and that kind of vision. So, so many churches are operating uh, by the, flying by the seat of their pants. They're just kind of pedaling. They're just going, hoping that they get somewhere, but they don't know where they're going. And it's one of those things that's very, very simple to do. Uh, it, it, and it's common sense that you would think to stop and say, okay, as a body, where do we want to go? Who do we want to be? As we exist here in this community, what do we want people to, to think of when they think of Bear Valley? What do, we, what do we want people to know about us? What do we want people to see that will help us reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I'm, and I'm going to say this. When, uh, uh, I'm going to keep everybody's name straight. Scott. When Scott got up this morning, he, he mentioned that here in a couple of weeks, there's going to be some, vision, uh, some, some goals and visions laid out for 2020. And, and I'm going to say this. As far as our discussion tonight, I know that as far as specific goals are concerned, we are going to look to our leaders for those to figure out where what what direction are we going to be going for the next 12 months and beyond tonight i want to give us a very broad spectrum idea a very broad spectrum vision that 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 i hope all of us can get together. on, But if we say it out loud together, maybe it'll be something that will begin that process of binding us together, helping us link arm in arm, to know that we have the same vision, to know that we have the same goals, and we are pointed in the same direction to reach the people of Denver, Lakewood, Littleton, Aurora, and however many other places there are with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to find that, I I don't want to come up with this just off the top of my head. I want us to go to the Word of God. Do you have your Bibles tonight? Let me see them, please. Hold them up. Hold them up. Hold your Bibles. Good. Good. Open up to the book of Acts. Open up to the book of Acts, please. This is where I'd like to go as, as we look back to those earliest Christians. Those who first received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we'll note, and we'll, we'll actually look at some of these verses later on, is, is when you read through the book of Acts, you get the sense of growth. You get the sense of community. You get the idea of excitement. Even when there might have been persecution on the horizon, uh, whether there was persecution or not, people were moving for God. And I want to know, when I, when I come to the book of Acts, I begin to look and say, what was it that people saw in those earliest Christians that gave them uh, motivation to want to know what it is that you people have? What is it that makes your life so special that, that can give you this kind of excitement and peace in life? And if we can figure out what some of those things were, if we can figure out what what the... the uh, unbelieving world saw in those earliest Christians, maybe we can replicate that. And if we can replicate that, then maybe we're going to be able to continue to gain momentum in our efforts to please God and to carry the gospel here in this area. The first thing I want you to take note of is that it, when people look at, uh, at Bear Valley, when people when people look at this congregation and as we compare ourselves to the Christians in the book of Acts, here's one thing that I hope people find. I hope that as we figure out where we're going together, the first thing we're going to find is that people is that we are people who are in the word. Who are in the word daily, regularly, consistently. And I think it's important as you open up the book of Acts, you find that, that the people, the earliest Christians, this was their, their standard operation. They spent as much time as they possibly could, learning about God, learning about Christ, spending the time in the word, in the message of Jesus. We had read for us a little while ago, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. But notice uh, again, if you would, uh, verse 42, what it says, this is on the day of Pentecost and in, the, and in the few days that come afterward, as these people have found this new faith in Jesus Christ, they have accepted, uh, they've accepted that message and they have been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. They've received the grace of Jesus Christ, and now they're trying to grow. They're trying to figure out, what do we do next? Well, how do they find out what to do next? Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They spent time learning from God's inspired people. They wanted to know the Word of God. And these are just the Jewish people who were there on the day of Pentecost, as time goes on, we're going to find that, 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 that the gospel is going to spread. It's going to go outside of Jerusalem, and it's going to go to that Gentile world. And we're going to find Paul emerge later on as, as, uh, as the, the preeminent missionary, if you'll give me that term. And he's going to begin going all over the place. He's going to go all over that Roman world, teaching, the, teaching everyone that he can find about Jesus. And along the way, he has a lot of different experiences, does he not? He finds a lot of people who respond well to his message. He finds a lot of people who don't respond very well to the message. But one of the the most encouraging groups that he comes across, we read about in Acts chapter 17. So if you were to turn over there, what you would find is that in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11, as he's headed out, I think this is his second missionary journey, we find that the brothers, uh, he runs into problems in Thessalonica, and, and having run into those problems, they're trying to keep him safe. They're trying to keep him alive. And so they send him out. And in verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And what was the result? Many of them therefore believed. See so what we find from the very beginning is that the earliest Christians, the earliest people who were coming to Jesus, they needed to know what the Word of God said. And, and, and when you, whether you're looking at Paul or you're looking at the, those Jewish Christians or you're looking at those Gentile believers who come in and, be, and are beginning to learn about the Word, what they wanted more than anything else it seems was to be in the Word of God. And why is that such a big deal? Well, here's the big deal. Because Scripture is critical to the life of the church. And, and when I say the life of the church, I mean that is to, to us as individuals. It is critical to our own individual life and well-being. It is critical to, to the sanctity of the body of Christ, of the church. Why? Because it is is within these words, it is within these pages that have been preserved throughout the centuries that we know what God has done for us and how He wants us to respond. This is how we know that we have salvation when we respond to Him in faith, in obedient faith. Without these, we have no hope. Without these words, we have no leg to stand on because we don't know what God wants of us. So the scriptures are incredibly critical and crucial to our well-being. And I think that's why in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul will write that we need to let the word of Christ dwell within us richly. I read in, a, in one commentary somewhere where somebody was kind of rewording that idea of let, let the word, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. He, he, he rephrased that a little bit and he said another way that you can render that phrase is to let the word of Christ be abundantly at home within you. What does that mean? What does that look like? Let me tell you you a little bit about what that means. That that, that means that it's more than just knowledge. It's more than just committing the words to your memory. You can have the words committed to your memory and it do you no good. There There have been people all throughout history who knew what the Bible said, but they didn't know how to apply it. They didn't know what to do with it. But when the message of Christ dwells within us, when it makes its home abundantly within us, The message begins to change us the message shapes us helps us understand what we are to do with our life and helps and 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 helps us learn how to overcome trials helps us helps us know how to build stronger families and to be better spouses and how to be stronger christians in a world that is rather antagonistic to christianity is it not and in fact, I've given some thought along the way. When, when we become people who are in the Word of God, it, there are several things that are going to happen. When you make it a point to stay in the Word of God every single day, whether you mean for this to happen or not, I, I think some things that are naturally going to happen is that, number one, your faith is going to be strengthened through your understanding. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so the more time you spend in the Word of God, the greater your understanding is going to be and the greater your faith is going to become. But it's also going to help us to be better prepared to give a defense. We we were talking in the Young Lions class a little while ago um, about the temptation of Jesus. When when Satan is trying to turn Jesus away uh, from, from walking that straight path and being that Messiah, what is it that Jesus answered with every time? It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. How can you give a defense of scriptures you don't know? How can you give a defense of a hope that that you can't understand yourself because you haven't gone to the Word that teaches you about that hope? And so when we spend time in the Word, we're going to be better prepared to give a defense for the hope that lies within us. But you know, one of the things I've also found throughout the years is that spending time in scripture simply helps me think more spiritually about life. You ever notice that? that? That when you come across what, what most people would consider maybe a relatively mundane trial or, or, or just something that, well, that's not really that big of a deal. So when you've spent a lot of time in the Word, when you come across certain situations, you're going to start thinking, how would God want me to deal with this? You know, I read something about that the other day. You know, and, 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 and the Scriptures will be recalled to our minds. And we begin to think more spiritually. When we're younger, when we're y'all's age, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what's something that's gonna, that you're going to find. Right now, a lot of your life is probably spent trying to figure out what's the right thing to do. I know it was, that's, that was my battle. What's the right thing to do? Let me tell you something that happens as you get older, and being in the Word is going to help you do this. As you get older and you spend more time in the Word and you begin to think more spiritually about life, there will come a point in which you're going to know what the right thing to do is because you've spent enough time in the Word, there's going to come a day when one of the greatest feelings is when you start saying, you know, I know what the right thing to do is. Now I'm trying to figure out what's the better versus the best thing. But how does that come? That comes from spending time in the Word. And when people look at Bear Valley, let me tell you what I hope that they find. I hope they find a group of Christians who spend time in the Word every day. I hope they find a group of Christians who are growing in their faith, growing in their understanding, growing in their ability to be able to explain why I believe and why I do what I do. And I hope they find a group of people who think spiritually about everything in life, realizing that faith goes outside of these doors. The second thing that I find in the book of Acts, that uh, by, by way of vision, where, who are we and where are we going? I, I, not only do I hope that people find in Bear Valley a, a, a group of Christians who are in the Word regularly, I hope that they find a group of people who are in each other's lives on a regular basis. Staying there in, in Acts chapter 2, if you go back, you'll, you'll notice some of uh, the, the rest of that passage. Uh, verse 42 spoke about how they, how they were um, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. But notice what happens in verses 44 through 47. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Oh, doesn't that just make you, doesn't that doesn't it just sound like a great experience? When I talk about the idea of being in each other's lives, I think it's important to note that that is exactly how the, early, the earliest Christians lived their Christian faith. Now, as we read those verses, you, you probably noted pretty easily that, that Luke tends, is focusing specifically on meeting the physical needs, right? Right? And, and, and there, was a good need, there was a good reason why they were coming together to meet these physical needs. Uh, th- these folks had come for the sake of the Passover. Some of them presumably had come from a really far way away. Uh, and and uh, they would have brought enough supplies to last for a certain period of time. They would have closed up shop wherever home was. They would have brought enough money and supplies to last for a certain amount of time. Well, Pentecost comes 50 days later. And so you get to Pentecost and all of a sudden you find this, this new faith. You hear about Jesus. You hear about the resurrected Messiah. And you, you had this new faith and you're trying to learn it. Well, it, it's not going to take a whole lot of time before you stay over what you had supplies for. And so now all of a sudden you have all these Christians, thousands of them, who are here in Jerusalem and they're working and they're studying and, they're, and, and all of a sudden they realize, uh-oh, we've run out of money, but I don't want to go home yet. I don't want to go back to work. I don't want tomorrow to be Monday. I don't want the Christmas break to be over, right? Amen. Yeah, I hear it. And and so what do they do? They step up and say, you know what? We have our brothers and sisters that are in need. Let's take care of them. And so they come together. They bring, they sell their goods. And so they're meeting needs. But you know, one of the things that as I look at this, as I think about just the way that humanity interacts, when you have people that are spending this much time together, I think there was more than, than uh, physical needs that were being met. I think in that time that they're spending together day in and day out inside the temple, as they're sitting around the table to one, with one another sharing food, what's happening? They're not only meeting physical needs, but they are also meeting those emotional needs. They're meeting those spiritual needs. They're having the, the conversations about sin in each other's lives and, and trying to strengthen one another in their own faith. They're, they're, being, they're, they're there to help comfort each other with that encouraging word. Maybe at times uh, if, they, if they're having difficulties... And isn't that what Christians are supposed to do? Isn't that what's supposed to happen with the body of Christ? I think that mutual encouragement had to have taken place so that they understood that they were not alone in this new faith, that they were not alone in this life. And what you notice as you continue reading throughout the book of Acts, and then as you get into the letters, especially Paul's letters, you're going to find that that level of intimacy seems to have continued, at least it seems to me that it did, for a long time throughout the book of Acts. and 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 I would suggest at least for a good long while throughout the next century or so, That Christians were spending time together. And go look at Paul's letters sometime. Look closely at how deeply he loved those people that he was writing to. How much passion did he have for their well being? And for many of them, he only spent a handful of months. 18 months in one place, a couple of years in another. But most of the time, he wasn't there very long. But but yet somehow, when he would write, he'd say, "I thank my God every day for you, with all joy," and I hope that you do the same for me. Why is that happening? I'll tell you why that was happening is because when they were together, they weren't just together just to sit here on Sunday morning. They didn't walk in just to sit down, hear a sermon, sing a few songs, take the Lord's supper, and say, "See ya," I'll see you Wednesday night. They, they didn't do that. They got together in other places. And I'll say it, church. I mean, I love this setting. I love the congregational setting. I love having hundreds of voices lift up our songs of praise to God. It's so encouraging. I love shaking what feels like a thousand hands after services and getting to know people that you're coming up saying, do you remember my name? The answer is no, I don't. I love that. But let me tell you where real growth is going to happen. It's going to happen in each other's homes. It's going to happen around... Dinner tables, it's going to happen in coffee shops. It's going to happen maybe in some Bible classes every so often. That, that's where we start getting into each other's lives. That's where we start reaching the point where we are meeting each other's needs, whether that be physical, emotional, or spiritual. And that's again, that's not taking away from this setting in the least little bit. This is going to happen. But I'll tell you that personally... When I think about what I want people to see when they look at Bear Valley, I want them to see a group of people that are in each other's lives, that have intimate connections and loving friendships and bonds that are going to transcend the regular Sunday worship service. And then they're going to transcend those times when we when we finally, when some of us have to move away, or or when 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 those of us that that reach that point in our life, we we graduate on into eternity. We want to see those kinds of relationships. We want to be a people who are in each other's lives. But being people in the Word and being people who are in each other's lives is going to give way to that third thing. What's the third thing that we find in Scripture? That that makes the church something that others will want to know more about. And I think it is this when people look at Bear Valley, as the people, as we look back at the Christians of, of the book of Acts, we want to also be people who are in the community. People who are in this community. You know something really interesting about the book of Acts and that that someone pointed out to me a, a couple of years back is that as Luke writes this document it seems that along the way he gives uh, about 6 or 7 points, which, which seem to be uh, good breaks. It, you know, he's, he's a good writer. He's gonna, he's gonna, it's a good chapter break, right? You know, that section. And you read through, and then you get to the end of it, and you see a similar statement several times. And it kind of marks the end of that particular movement of the book, and then he transitions on into something else. And I've got them listed up here. Acts chapter 6, verse 7, 9, 31, uh, 12, 24, 16, 5, 19, 20, 28, verses 30 and 31. But real quick, I want you to turn with me. I want to look at a couple of them. I want you to notice what it is that Luke reports as... That Luke reports as he comes to the end. So, so you began uh, in the first part of the in the first part of the book. Uh, the, the church is initiated on the day of Pentecost, and and it moves from Jerusalem uh, and gets started there in in Jerusalem. And you see all of the focus and the attention on the church growing in Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, you get to chapter six, verse seven. And in chapter six, verse seven, he makes the statement: "And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests." became obedient to the faith. Isn't that exciting news? The word spread all throughout Jerusalem. And then as you keep looking, what happens next? Next, Luke said, he shows us how the word of God, the, the gospel, moves outside of Jerusalem and it begins to move to the Samaritans. And so as we, as we move on to the Samaritans and it starts expanding out, reaching some of those Jews who were outside of Jerusalem, out in that, perhaps in that Decapolis area, okay, the dispersion, the diaspora, for those of you that know those terms, it's spreading out into the other Jews outside of Jerusalem, and look what he says in chapter 9, verse 31, in chapter 9, verse 31, uh, uh, Luke reports to us that the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It multiplied. Now, we won't go through and read the rest, but you might already sense the pattern. That as Luke continues to write, here's what you're going to find that the longer the church is in existence, the more the word of God spreads, and the more the number of believers multiplies. Their numbers grow exceedingly over and over and over again. And I find myself wondering how did this happen? I look around today, I look around at our world today, and I don't see the gospel taking the same kind of effect that I see happening right here. Some people say, well, you know, it's just because our world doesn't want to listen. Folks, we've been talking about being, trying to model ourselves after the first century church. Guess what? The Lord's bringing us the first century again. And if the Lord's going to bring us the first century again, what do we know has the potential to happen? We know that the church has has the opportunity to start exploding again, right? Because he did it in the first century before. Why Why can't it happen in the same kind of environment again? But we need to know why did it happen? Did it happen because God's people stayed inside of their buildings? No, I'll tell you why it happened. It happened because people talked and lived Jesus everywhere that they went. Everywhere that they went. See, I think one of the biggest problems that a lot of Christians have today is we think of our lives as a pie, a sectioned-off pie. Here, here's my work time, here's my school time, here's my play time, here's my church time, uh, here's my personal time, and we spend all of our lives, we spend so much time trying to figure out, okay, if I take time away from this, that means i got to give it over here, and, 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 and we get stressed about that, don't we? Get stressed about not having enough hours in the day, and so we even to our, what we'll do to ourselves is we'll say, "Well, well, well, I, I need to be giving more time to God," and so we try to make that God section of the pie a lot bigger. Let me tell you something, folks: God doesn't get just a single section of the pie. God is the whole pie. Why did people grow? Why did the church grow, rather? It grew because everywhere that people went, it didn't matter. They didn't have to be in the church building to talk about God. Everywhere that they went, every interaction they had, they were looking for opportunities to talk about Jesus, to talk about His grace, to talk about this great family that they had found. Because, you see, the thing about it is is that the church is not supposed to be a group of isolationists. We're supposed to be be able to get out there and talk with people. And yet so many times what happens to us is that we wind up acting, whether we mean to or not, in practicality what winds up happening is that our faith and our Christianity gets confined within these walls. But that's not the way that the church grows. The church grows when we get out and we connect with other people. And we do that as as a body, and we do that as individuals. And again, because faith is not confined to these walls, and and, and you want to know how how I know that? Take a look. Open up with me real quick to Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, Paul, writing to this young preacher, he describes the kind of life that Titus is supposed to live, not just on Sunday morning or Sunday night, not just at the youth devotionals, not just during, during the, 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 the Bible school classes. Everywhere you go, there's a certain way that Christians carry themselves. Notice what he says in verses 11-14 through 14 of Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself up to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. We live this kind of life, church, Because it's who we are. It's who we are everywhere and anytime. We are people who are self-controlled, who are pure, who strive to show that in every interaction that we have. And so let me ask the question. When you go out there and and you go out into a world that is not characterized by self-control, when you go out into a world that is not characterized by wisdom or purity or graciousness, what's it going to do? When people start interacting with those of us who really stand out because we have a sense of living, a sense of being, a security. You talk about waiting for that hope. We have that sense of security. We're able to let troubles roll off of us because we have our hope anchored in someone who is greater than any problem Satan can throw at me. What's it going to do when people out in our community realize that that's the kind of life we live? It's not going to happen with everybody, but there's going to be some you're going to meet going to say, why, "Why can you be that way? Why can you do that? Why is it that nothing ever ruffles your feathers? Why is it that you don't get tossed about when everything starts going crazy and haywire in this world?" And you say, "You know what? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about my God. You want to know how I can be that way? I'm going to tell you about him. And, and real quick, I, I, I don't even know if I've got the time. Let me, I do. I'm, I'm going to make the time. I, I'll give you an example of how this can work. And I, and I give you this example because when it was all said and done, I realized myself that I walked away having missed an opportunity. Okay? I, I, I missed it this night. My family and I had gone out with some friends. Uh, Boys had done, I don't know, taekwondo, something like that, and they'd done belt testing. It was all exciting. They got new belts. They were moving up in the world. And so we went out to celebrate. We went to Wendy's. We were living high class that night, folks. And we went out to Wendy's. And when we showed up, there was one lady behind the counter. She was the only one working the register. Everybody else was back in there in the kitchen, and she was clearly, they were clearly shorthanded that night. And right about the time that we show up, guess what? Everybody else let out of every other taekwondo studio in the city, I guess. Because it, it, it got packed. And she had, she had people coming at her from all different ways. And, 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 and so she would get the order. She'd get them typed in. And then lo and behold, you know, go figure, somebody in the back, they made a mistake on the order. And so, there, and so there's three or four people who keep coming and saying, no, I wasn't supposed to get this. I was supposed to get this. And then this next person, can I please order? And it's just going and going and going. You can see the frustration. You can see you can see the aggravation on her face, and at one point, I and, and our brother Dan it was Dan Grace who was with us. Dan and I were standing there, and they brought him and they they brought him a fudge cookie. He wanted chocolate chip, and and he's pretty adamant about that chocolate chip cookie. And so he said he said if you would can we can we swap this out please? You know I, I ordered the chocolate chip. I don't like I don't like the chocolate chunk. And she kept apologizing. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We said, it's okay. We're, we're good. And we stood there patiently. We just do what we do. We didn't get mad. We didn't get aggravated. There's nothing, there's nothing that she could do about all this. She was taking one person at a time. And you know what happened? We went down and we sat down, ate our meal. And as we were getting ready to leave, she came up after her break. She said, can I, can I say something to you? I said, sure. She said, I want to thank you for your patience that you showed up there earlier. And she went on to explain the situation. She said, there were a lot of people who weren't having a lot of patience, but you guys showed an awful lot of patience. And I really, really thank you for that. And we said, well, you're welcome. And then we left. And, you know, it was about an hour or two later, I went, oh, there was that opportunity. That opportunity to say, can I share with you why we were able to be that way? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me, it's because my Jesus gives me so much grace and, and love and mercy. That's why we can live that way. Folks, let me tell you, that that's the kind of stuff we're going to need to be looking for. Because I'm telling you, you go out and you live that Titus 2 kind of life. You live with, with that kind of peace and, and, and excitement and strength and hope. There will be people who want to know how they can get what you have. And that's how the early church grew. They took every opportunity that they can muster and sometimes they went out and they created opportunities in order to try to make that happen and when i look at when i look at this congregation when i think about the future that lies ahead of us when i think about what is it that we want the people of this community to know and think and learn about bear valley i want them to see a christian family who is in the community whether that is as things that we do as a body, or whether that is us as individuals as we simply go live everyday life. We need to be those kinds of people. And if we can be those kinds of people, the Lord's church is going to grow. I believe it. I have no doubt the Lord's church is going to grow because God is that powerful to work through us and be able to make that happen. And so look, again, You know, when, when it comes to, to the, the, the congregational vision, I, I know that the specific vision of, of specific goals, we are looking to our, our shepherds in order to make that happen, in order to bring that to us and to help set a direction for us. And we're going to support them in that, and we're going to get behind them, and we're going to work as a family, as a body, as a machine, as whatever, whatever <laughs> a, a, a picture it is that works best for you. We're going to get behind them, and we're going to work on that, and we're going to serve God to the best of our ability here in this community. But in a broader sense, I hope that that at least in my heart, as we are joining together, that as we figure out who we are and where are we going, as we are going out there, as we are doing that, I hope these are the three things that people know and they see about us. They see a group of people who are in the Word constantly, a group of people who are in each other's lives, and a group of people who are in their community, active and living out the grace of Jesus Christ everywhere that we go. And I hope that is a vision you can get behind as well. But let me say this. It's only going to be a vision you can get behind if you're part of God's family. These things right here, these are all things that we can do as individuals. Okay, You you can be in the Word daily whether you are a member of the church or not. You can be in the lives of other people. You can be in the community. But let me tell you where it's the most effective. It is the most effective when you are part of the Lord's family. That's where these things really, really start start making changes in our lives. And tonight it may be that you're here and and you like the thought of getting, getting behind this vision. You like the thought of being part of this family here. But you haven't obeyed the gospel. Let me encourage you to not leave this building tonight without becoming a Christian. Don't don't walk out and get in your car without knowing that you took the steps of faith that were necessary for you to be cleansed of your sins, to receive the grace of Jesus, to be added to His family so that you can begin that walk of faith. You have that opportunity tonight. If you need to obey the gospel, if you need to come and be baptized into Christ, we're going to sing a song. It's tradition. It's what we do. But it's a great opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to get your life right with God. What will you do with that opportunity while we stand and sing? When the trumpet of the Lord's silence, I shall be no more, and the morning grace eternal, bright and fair, when the saints of mercy shall gather over.